Laura Snyder is an elementary school teacher in Florida. You might not know her by her name, but undoubtedly you've heard the story rabid fan of the University of Tennessee. And this young boy wanted to participate in the College Colors Day at his school, but he did not have the t-shirt that he needed in order to participate. So he took it upon himself to wear an orange shirt with a piece of notebook paper attached to written U period T on the front and it was affixed and he came to school and his teacher was so impressed with his she was so glad that he came to school prepared to celebrate the day that as kids are wont to do they were not quite as impressed and they let him know it especially in the lunchroom so his teacher shared the story online and the university of tennessee became aware of this and as did their alums, and soon enough, the school started receiving care packages that included t-shirts and jerseys and baseball caps and all other kind of garb for the school with a logo and that sort of thing for this young man. That was a lovely gesture, and it was much appreciated. But then the school did something more. The school took his design, his scribbled U period T, and created its own shirt modeled after his drawing. And they now sell it in their stores. And the proceeds of these sales uh, go to benefit a nonprofit that is an anti bullying organization. And so that, that was, again, a wonderful way for the school to, um, to respond. But they took it one step further the week after. And what they did was they offered this young boy the opportunity to be admitted to the school in the class of 2032 <laughs> if he so chooses to make that decision. And not only that, a four-year scholarship. I love this story. In the face of all the bad news that we hear and all the troubles that we know of, it's just really good to hear a good word like that. No, I don't appreciate the, the events that precipitated it, but you know as well as I do, because you've been children too, that kids can be mean. And so I'm glad that it's turned out that way. Now, I love the response because it is all about caring for others. It's all about making connections. And that's what we're focusing on today. We're focusing on the question, why care? And we're looking at a scripture passage that is other than what is printed in your bulletin. Because, friends, that's what the Holy Spirit does from time to time. <laughs> we're going to be reading uh, about the same story. A miracle story, but we're going to take a look at it from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Mark 1, 1 through 12. I invite you to listen and read for God's word for you this morning. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. 
So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Why care? Jesus cares. Jesus shows us how to be empathetic. I'm going to talk about empathy in just a moment. But Jesus gets down in the trenches with us, down in the, the pit of what we are going through. Scripture shows us again and again that Jesus cared so much that he performed miracles of healing. The reading this morning is a vivid example. He was following by, by, followed by throngs of people because of his teaching, because of his healing works, and because of the hope that he brought. People wondered who this man was and where his power came from. They wanted to know more. We can imagine that they wanted some of that power for themselves. In today's passage, Jesus was in a house teaching God's word, and the house was packed, packed with people. There was, there was a guy who was paralyzed and who needed help. Four others carried him to the house where Jesus was believed to be, but when they got there, well, it was a mob scene. They couldn't get anywhere near the front door. So they climbed up onto the roof, and they cleared an opening in the roof, right over Jesus' head, so that they could lower their friend down to be near him. Because of the healing power that he'd been given by God, Jesus made the man well. So much so that he was able to get up and walk on his own. He performed these kinds of miracles despite the naysayers, the, the people who talked against him, who spoke harshly, this is the same person that we read about in Philippians 2. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, 
taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. One thing this passage tells us is that Jesus knows what it's like to be in the depths. But it also tells us that he knows what it's like to be a person of privilege because he started out with the ability to do amazing things because of what God had equipped him to do. He had a certain place, and yet he relinquishes this and humbles himself for our behalf, emptied himself, Scripture tells us. He knows what it's like to to be a slave, to be the lowest of the low. This is where his empathy comes from. And this is the person that we follow and try to strive to emulate in our own lives. You know, as we say that we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and as we say that we will follow him, What we are also saying is that we will endeavor to do his ways in our own life, to emulate him in our own lives. That includes caring for people. Caring involves expressions of both empathy and sympathy. I echo Brene Brown on the importance of making the distinction between the two. She talks about empathy as fostering connection with others and sympathy doing the opposite. This doesn't mean that sympathy is bad, but it is helpful for us as caregivers to know the difference between the two. If we think about situations where we may find ourselves in a pit down low, where it's dark and confusing and scary and overwhelming, So we're down in the pit, and someone comes down into the pit with us and stands next to us and says, oh my goodness, you're exactly right. It's dark down here. It's scary here. I can understand why you would be worried, but you know what? You are not alone. That is the response that comes from empathy being right here, right next to the pit. The sympathetic response, on the other hand, is that person is in the pit. They're down there. The sympathetic person remains up here, looking down, hearing them say, oh my gosh, it's, it's dark down here. It's scary. I'm confused. I'm overwhelmed. And the sympathetic person is looking down going, Man, you're not kidding. It is dark down there. Wow. I, can't, I can hardly see you down there. Hey, hey, do you want a sandwich? That's, that's more the sympathetic response. Not down in the trenches. Not exactly the way that Jesus responded to people in need. Empathy is being in the mud and the muck with the person in the mud and the muck. Empathy is a decision. It's a conscious decision to be vulnerable with that person. It requires that we identify an emotion in ourselves 
that helps us connect with that person in the pit. No, we may not have had the experience directly, but we have a sense of how it makes a person feel, and we are there standing right next to them. Just last week in our grief support group, we talked about how people with the best of intentions try to make things better by saying something. So we hear someone say, I've lost my spouse. They've died. And here's the unhelpful, an example of the unhelpful response. Well, at least you had a spouse at one time. Don't say that kind of stuff. <laughs> At least is not a good way to start responding to someone in need. Because what it does from the beginning of your response is it takes away the significance of what they're going through. Don't diminish what they're going through with qualifying your response beginning with at least. And secondly, don't try to put a silver lining on the cloud that's hanging over them. Because, friends, we all have clouds over our lives. Whether it has a silver lining or not, it is still a cloud. They need us to be there, to listen, and not to try and fix with something that we might say. The reality is that we can rarely actually fix something or make something better simply by saying something. We've got to get down there with them. We've got to show up and be alongside them and care for them in that way. Arm's length care can be helpful as a start. But it's not the only way that we should be caring for others. Instead, it's better when we have the opportunity to say something to someone, to say something like, you know, there really aren't words for this situation. I really don't have what I need to have to say right now. But I do want to say this to you. I am so grateful that you took me into your confidence. I am so thankful that you shared with me what you are going through. Because what I want to say to you is you are not alone. And friends, that's all that may need to be said at that time because it conveys a level of care. Your presence, your awareness, that makes all the difference in the world. It makes a connection, and that's really, really important. Some of you know our journey with our sweet boy, Timothy Levi, our son. Connection is what has kept Michelle and Clay and me going for many years, especially since the year 2015. The phone rang on that Thanksgiving morning. It was light out, but it was early. We had spent the previous two days and nights in waiting rooms in two different hospitals where Timothy had been brought. Mr. Brainerd, this is Moses Cone Hospital and we need you and your wife to come to the hospital. They wouldn't say anything else, but we knew that it was not good. 2015 was a pretty awful year for the four of us. That spring, Timothy attempted suicide in our home. 
he would do so more than once after that, before that week of Thanksgiving, when the clouds that had been looming over us turned pitch black dark and our lives changed forever. That spring began a months-long experience of hospitalizations and doctor visits and counselors, police and ambulance calls to our home. Add insult to injury was the, in the middle of all of this, were the ridiculous fights with the insurance companies about what would be covered and what would not be covered and how long our son, who was described as suicidal, could remain in a protected environment, and on and on it went. It was awful, and people go through this every day, every day. Timothy was in pain, and we were in pain. We were scared for our boy because we knew in our bones that we were helpless to reach him. Months later, in an interview with the Greensboro News and Record, I described this as Timothy's head and heart becoming disconnected. His heart was always good. His heart was always pure and tender and loving, but his mind betrayed him. We sought help for him and for us in every possible way. You know, at that time, I had been the pastor for congregational care at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greensboro for 10 years. So I was the resident authority on care. And may I just say, through this experience, I learned from that church and from others what care truly is. It was connections with people. People who showed up and just sat but also did a host of other things that kept us going and keep us going. Alice and a whole group of other people showed up at the hospital that Thanksgiving morning, leaving their Thanksgiving dinners in the middle of being prepared and sacrificing time with their own families to be with ours in our time of need. She said, I will take care of things. And we were so grateful. We didn't even know what that meant. We didn't know what things there were. We didn't know what we needed. But she coordinated visitors and food and flowers and schedules and travel and all of it. For 10 days, she came to our home and managed a small operation of volunteers and the care that was extended to us. That Thanksgiving night, Chris and Kim brought a Thanksgiving dinner to us so that we might have some semblance of normalcy on that awful, awful day. The next day, the doorbell rang, and by the time I got to the front of the house, all I saw were two large ice chests. The right ice chest contained beer. The left ice chest contained pints of ice cream. Someone knew me well. The next day, a massive basket of paper towels and toilet paper and Kleenex was left on our front porch. Y'all, that's getting real right there. <laughs> Somebody went out and bought Michelle clothes that she could wear to the memorial service. 
There were people in the community who volunteered to be in the car with us when we had to keep Timothy safe to transport him from one hospital to another hospital, and it was a two-hour drive. Whoever knows that they may be called upon to do something like that? I don't know how many of these we have in our home, but a lot. This is a prayer shawl that was knitted by someone at Westminster, and it was given to us during that time. And we not only received these prayer shawls from the church I served, but from many other churches in Greensboro and from other places, people in places around the country. And they mean so much to us because what they say is we care. We may not know you, but we've heard about your story and we care and we're praying. And so when I look at this these years later, I'm reminded that those people prayed for us and that they continue to pray for us. Probably one of the most significant memories of this time is the day of Timothy's memorial service, December the 2nd, while we were away. Our house was cleaned, our yard was done, and you know, in that part of the country, at that time of year, leaves fall, like a lot of leaves fall. We don't know that sort of thing in Texas, but it happens. All of that was taken care of, but then the most beautiful thing happened in the midst of those gestures. Another group of people came and filled our yard with luminaria. The the paper bags with the lights, with the candles. And that night, the night of Timothy's memorial service, people came and they lit those candles. And y'all, our yard was this beautiful, beautiful expression of God's light. And it was because people who may not have known the right thing to say, they may have felt awkward about the whole thing, showed up, and they they did something. People came from everywhere. And in the midst of the three and a half hour line of people greeting us, some of the most touching expressions of condolence were from his peers, Timothy's peers, 15, 16, 17-year-old boys and girls who said something like, Mr. Brainerd, I'm so sorry. I think about how I might not have been as friendly to Timothy as I should have been. And I promise you that I will do better to honor his memory. I will do better with other people. You know... For a year after that, I got texts from one single church member who texted me every single day to say, I'm with you, I'm praying for you, I'm remembering your family, you are not alone. A simple gesture, but something that I held on to and continue to hold on to in my memory. A group of friends carried us on our mats. We were paralyzed with our grief carried us, carried us from our home into the church on that day to celebrate Timothy's life. And we found a measure of healing in that place and at that time. We were able to walk. We were able to get up because we knew that Timothy had been healed. And we found healing as well. 
and we remain so grateful for it. In that newspaper interview, I was questioned by the reporter about whether in this, through this experience I had ever questioned my faith. And I, I eagerly said, Nancy, no, I haven't. I, I certainly have questions. I certainly question God about why, why? And I may never know the answer, and if I do know the answer, it will be at the time when I'm face to face with my Creator. And yes, I will expect an answer. One of the things that I want to encourage you today is to take action when you have a hunch. When you have this inner inkling to do something for someone, don't, don't blow it off. You know, those things are the easiest things to blow off because nobody knows but you. You may have this thought, oh, I should probably pick up the phone and call so-and-so. I should probably write so-and-so a note. I need to check in with another person. My encouragement to you is life is too short not to do those things. There is no harm in it. Jesus cared for us. Jesus cares for us because the Holy Spirit is present with us. And one of the things that we can do with that reality is to share that care with other people as well. We can't care for others if we're not taking care of ourselves. And so a pat on the back to you gathered here this morning, those online who are worshiping God today, to receive what God's word has to say, to pray in community, to sing praises, to be filled so that you can give. But I just, I want to encourage you not to be paralyzed by your seeming inability to know what to say or how to be. Just show up. Just say, I really don't have the words, but I want you to know I'm in your corner. I really want you to know I'm aware and I'm here for you. There is no one that is going to fault you for that. Why care? For me, we care for others because we need one another. God did not create us to live in isolation, but to live in community, to be in relationship with one another. It's messy. From time to time, it's really messy. But it's what we've got. In Jesus' time, it was really messy. My heavens, wasn't it? And we claim him, we follow him, and we emulate him. Part of caring for each other is taking an interest in the needs of others and taking action where there is the possibility that we might make things better. It is up to us individually to answer the question of why care or how we care. Ultimately, that's for us to discern for ourselves. As I end this sermon this morning, I do so with the, the words of the famous theologian, Waylon Jennings, <laughs> who I was sort of reunited with when I came back to the Lone Star State. I don't know if he's a Texan, but I grew up in Texas, and I listened to a lot of Waylon Jennings back in the day. And he sang these words. Through teardrops and laughter, we'll pass through this world hand in hand. May it be so. All thanks be to God.